great to see your faces here in the house. And uh, hey, if you're worshiping with us online, we love you. We can't wait to get to see you and to hug your neck when you get back. Uh, So we're in this series called Cancel Culture. And I was reading an article this week, and it was really insightful article about cancel culture. And there was a segment of it that I thought was so good, I wanted to share it with you. And so I'm just going to put it up on the screen here. Uh, This comes from Meg Mason, uh, who's writing for Vogue magazine. And she she wrote this, considering how much of our lives are lived online, it is certain most of us will transgress at some point if we haven't already. In which case, why does it feel like collectively we're becoming less and not more forgiving? We're now quicker to condemn those suffering a micro-controversy of their own making instead of extending the grace that one day we may need back. And, And as I was listening to her or reading this article, you know, some key words stood out to me. Uh, the, the phrase, collectively less forgiving. This idea of being quick to condemn. And, and I thought about it, is that true? I'm not going to ask you to respond to this, but just kind of think about it in your own mind. Do you think that we are, as a culture, now less forgiving than we were, say, five years ago or ten years ago? Are we quicker to condemn people online uh, or even uh, in our own personal lives? Let's take it from the, from the web page down to your living room. Are you quicker to condemn? Are you less forgiving than you used to be? And if the answer is yes, then what do we do about it? How, how do we as a culture bend back toward forgiveness? And how do we do it in a very contentious cancel culture in which we're living right now? Well, I think Jesus answers this question. He deals with this issue. And so I'm not going to tell you what I think about it. I'm just going to take you to what Jesus says about it, okay? So why don't you get your Bible out. Let's do what we do every week. We open up our Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We turn pages here. You know what that means? We get into the Bible, we turn Bible pages, all right? So that would be a great t-shirt one day. We turn pages, First Colleyville. Anyway, somebody can work that up. Uh, but, but that's what we do. We're going to get into God's Word. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching about personal conflict. Now, he is really kind of laying down some of the most fundamental teaching we have in the Bible on how to resolve conflict. He's talking with his disciples, and he pretty much lays out a roadmap for how to resolve conflict. He says, if you have a conflict, you go to your brother face to face. If you can resolve it, then great. If you not, if you can't, then let's get other people involved, maybe two or three to come along with you. You try to resolve the conflict. If that doesn't work, get more people involved, kind of widening the circle, if you will. And the goal is restoration, right? The goal is to reconcile and restore the relationship. And, and as I'm sure as his disciples are listening to all this, they're thinking in their minds, wow, this is going to take a lot of effort, right? It's a lot easier just to walk away, right? To reconcile, this is going to take a lot of effort. And so Peter has this thought in his mind, and he kind of interrupts class with a, a question. So look at it, Matthew 18, beginning of verse 21. This is a word of God. Then Peter approached him and asked, 
Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Now, Peter's thinking, this is hard work, Jesus. So I'm going to go through all these steps and trying to reconcile and so on. This is going to be hard labor here. How, how many times do I have to go through this? And, and in that day, the Pharisees said that a man was required to forgive another three times. No more than three. After three times, you're done, but you were required uh, to forgive three times. So, I don't know, maybe Peter's doing some math in his mind. Hey, I'll, I'll double what the Pharisees say. I'll add one, and Jesus is going to absolutely, he's going to be blown away with my generosity and forgiveness. So, how many times, Lord? Seven times? Uh, to which uh, Jesus replies, uh, look at it, verse 22. I tell you, not as many as seven Jesus replied, but 70 times 7. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's not just giving a big number. He's setting a new standard. He's saying that for you as followers of Christ, that forgiveness has no line, has no limit. That just as God is not counting your sins against you, that you should no longer count the sins of others against you either. And I'm sure like it is right now, you could probably have heard a pin drop because people are thinking in the back of their minds, well, wait a, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Lord, uh, Obviously, you're not familiar with my circumstance because my circumstance would clearly uh, require me not to forgive, or you don't understand the gravity of this situation, or don't know how many times this person has done this to me, and, and you're saying there's no limit? There's no line? I just keep forgiving and keep forgiving? And that's a hard, how many of you would agree uh, hands up, that's a hard statement. How many of you would agree with that? That's a hard thing to do. Yeah, that's really, really hard to do when it comes to forgiveness. In fact, some of you are struggling with it right now. In fact, the very fact that I'm talking about forgiveness is really making you uncomfortable. Because you really don't want to deal with this issue. You're like, okay, if I knew Craig was going to talk, I thought you were talking about cancel culture. If I knew you were going to talk about forgiveness, I would have probably slept in today because I really don't want to deal with this issue of forgiveness because it is a, uh, it's a nerve, it's a, a sensitive nerve in you. It is a, uh, it's a uh, tender spot in your life and you just don't want to deal with it. Uh, several years ago, I was, I was uh, preaching on forgiveness and... I got an email the following week uh, from a, a man who said that he had a relative that was in the service that heard my message on forgiveness and was offended by that message. And I replied back to him. I didn't know him. I just got this email. I replied back. I said, have you heard the message? To which he said, no. I thought that might be a good place to start, right? Uh, so I said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you listen to the message, and then let's get together afterward, and let's talk about it. And so about a day later, he emailed me back, and he said, 
never mind. Okay, so I guess he heard, I guess he heard, he said, never mind, uh, we don't need to talk about it, he lived out of state, why not? I said, hey, I'm here for you, if you want to talk about it, let's get down into it and deal with this issue. But the reason why I'm telling you this story is that there is in all of us this internal resistance to forgiveness, right? Uh, the pain is too great, uh, it's too soon, uh, I, my memory is too vivid, and I just don't want to go there. I don't want to hear you talk about it. I don't want to go there. I'm still dealing with this issue. And I believe that this internal resistance toward forgiveness is in part, not all, but in part due to a fact of a misunderstanding about forgiveness. So every time I, I teach on forgiveness, I always do a piece of part of the message just like this to try to clarify what Jesus means when he talks about forgiveness. So let me give you a couple of things that he is not talking about. He does not mean, when he says forgive the person who has offended you, he does not mean dismiss the offense. In other words, just to, oh, I'll just blow it off. He's not telling you to dismiss the offense against you. Secondly, he's not telling you to minimize the offense. He's not saying to say, well, you're just making a mountain out of a molehill. It really wasn't that big a deal. He's not saying that. Uh, thirdly, he's not saying to excuse the offense or somehow to make up excuses for the other person about why they did what they did. That is not what Jesus means when he talks about forgiveness. Uh, uh, one more, uh, he does not mean to ignore the offense. He's not saying, well, just sweep it on the rug, act like it never happened, uh, put your head in the sand. That's not what Jesus means. In fact, let me give you, give you one more. Uh, he does not necessarily, forgiveness does not necessarily equal uh, reconciliation even. What I mean by that is that you can forgive someone and, and never really be reconciled with that person. You can, you can forgive someone who's dead, who offended you, has passed on, but you still need to forgive them of their offense. Uh, you can extend forgiveness to someone who does not respond to that forgiveness, does not care about you forgiving them. You see, reconciliation requires something of both parties, Right? If you just go back up to Matthew 18, he says you go to the person, you take two more with you, you get more people involved, but if they are unwilling, then there can be no reconciliation. Reconciliation requires activity and movement on both sides, but forgiveness is on you. Reconciliation is not on you, but forgiveness is on you. And that's a choice that you make. You say, so what, if, if it's not all these things, then what is forgiveness? So what Jesus is talking about forgiveness is simply this, to recognize the offense and to release it to God, to release it. In fact, the Greek word for forgiveness that is mentioned multiple times in this passage is literally to send away, to release, to drop, to cast out. And here's the idea, don't let this offense eat you alive. Don't let, don't let this offense continue to grow inside of you and you always remember and you play it back over and over and let it just grow into roots of bitterness in your heart. You've got to get that out. Don't let this define you or control you. And sometimes that's hard to do. I mean, anytime I'm, teaching on forgiveness, that means I have to live with it for at least a week, right? You get, to, you get to suffer through about 30 minutes, right? I got to live with this all week. And I can remember 
in a conversation I had this week and something came up and I was very quick to remember an offense against me. And I could remember the, exactly how it was said and what was done and, and, and afterwards I thought about that and I thought, Craig, you know, have you really, I mean, have you really forgiven them? Because it sure doesn't sound like it. Boy, you pulled that up pretty quick. You didn't have to go very deep to get to that offense. So I'm just telling you that I'm working through this like you are. And it's something that we all have to work on. I, I think there's no greater, um, there's no greater uh, demonstration of your Christian faith than how you forgive others. This is when being a Christian makes a difference. See, anybody, anybody can hold a grudge. Anybody can be angry and hold on to it. But, but to be a Christian and to release it, now that's something different. That puts your Christian faith on display. And it is something that is hard. It's something we have to continue to do our whole lives because forgiveness is necessary. It is the only way, folks. It's the only way to have any kind of long-lasting relationship. You're going to have to forgive them. It is the only way to have a, a happy life and have joy in your life and not just end up an angry, bitter person. You're going to have to learn to forgive. It's the only way you can be reconciled to God is for forgiveness, for God to forgive you. And so forgiveness is incredibly important uh, to all of us, and it is so contrary to the cancel culture of our day. If you could paint what is the opposite of forgiveness, it would be our current cancel culture. Cancel culture is all about finding an offense, even if it's way back in the past, dredging it up, putting it on display, publicly shaming, holding it against that person forever. Cancel culture is all about vengeance. It's about retribution. It's about punishment. It is about anger. It's not about mercy. It's not about forgiveness. It's not about kindness. In fact, we're losing that in our culture. Brian Cranston, a very popular actor these days, was actually in an interview talking about that. I wanted you to hear it from his mouth. Watch this. You know, we live in this cancel culture of people uh, erring and doing wrong, either on purpose or by accident. And there's a, a, a less forgiveness in our world. I think we're unfortunately in a, a coarser environment. I think our societies have become harder and less um, understanding, less tolerant, less forgiving. And, and I, I, my question today was, where does forgiveness live in our society? You know, that is a great question. Where does forgiveness live? Where, where do I go to find forgiveness? Where do, what group of people could I find that would champion and live out forgiveness? And I believe Jesus is answering that question in this passage. What Jesus would say is this, forgiveness lives among the forgiven. That's where it is. In fact, I want you to write that down. Forgiveness lives among the forgiven. And 
Just to drive the point home, Jesus, the master teacher, launches into a story to illustrate to us how forgiveness is among the forgiven. If you've been forgiven, if you've received forgiveness, then that is the, the person that should then quickly extend forgiveness, right? Because you understand the importance of it. You've, re, you've been a recipient of it. And so forgiveness lives among the forgiven, and that's what Jesus says, starting in verse 23. He said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now stop right there for just a second. Uh, 10,000 talents was a lot. All right, a talent, we're not even sure exactly what the modern equivalent to a talent was in that time, but it was the largest sum of money that they could muster. So when you think about the parable of the talents, where somebody has one talent or two talents, a talent was still a lot of money. And so here he said, he said, this person has 10,000 talents. So, I mean, it's almost, it's hyperbolic language. It's over the top. He's, he's saying he owes a trillion dollars. He owes a, a, a trillion, trillion dollars. This is kind of the, the language. He's, he's clearly communicating that this is a debt. This man cannot what? He can't repay. And so he says, this man owes all this money. So let's pick up with it, verse uh, 25, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. That's what, what they did back then. Verse 26, and at this a servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the servant, get this, had compassion released him and forgave him the loan. Now, I want you just to imagine what that would have been like, right? I mean, for most of us here, probably the greatest personal debt you have would be like your mortgage. And so just imagine on Monday, you get a phone call, uh, Mr. Smith, this is, uh, this is uh, Bank of America, and we've been reviewing your mortgage, and we just decided to be nice to you and, and cancel out your mortgage so you don't owe us anything else. Uh, how many of you would think that would be a good day? Yeah, any bankers in the house? That would be a good day, right, for all of us. Um, what, what, if, what if this? What if you're in dire straits, you're, you're six months behind on your mortgage, they're about to foreclose on you, you're, you're going to be homeless, and then you get the phone call, hey, uh, Mr. Smith, uh, we've been reviewing your records, and we've decided to uh, just, just erase your debt, uh, just enjoy your home. Would that even be a better day? Yeah, because the, you were going to be out. Now, rewind the tape. What if, what if it wasn't just your mortgage? What if you had some back tax payments, and now you're looking at litigation, you're looking at jail time, and then all of a sudden you hear, uh, Mr. Smith, uh, the debt has been forgiven. Now you're getting the picture of what this man has endured. This man had this heavy, crushing weight of debt on him. No way he's ever going to get out from under this his whole life. He'll be suffocated by this debt. And now all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. And he's been forgiven, and it's gone. And so you would think this guy would be the happiest guy in the world, right? You'd think this guy would be so humbled, right? So, so thankful, so happy that he is just going to be like, walking the straight, and he'd be like, thank you, God, so much. I will never get in debt again. He's cutting up his credit cards, right? He's, he's doing everything. He never wants to get in that place again. 
but not necessarily what happens. Keep, keep reading. Look at verse uh, 26. The servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him, started choking him, and say, pay what you owe. And at this, his servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Get this, but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. This guy, he, he gets out, no sooner as he left this king's presence, he finds this guy who owes him about uh, maybe two or three months wage. Uh, Denaro was a day's wage, so this guy owes him about two or three months wage, and he finds, hey, hey, you owe me money, and he just like over the top starts choking this guy. Don't you think that's a little, a little too much, maybe, uh, to start choking this guy? Anger, retribution, you're going to pay me, you owe me. And when the guy's like begging him, just like he begged the king earlier, hey, be patient, have time with me. No, you're going to go to jail. You're going to pay me off. Uh, no, no grace for you. And, and off he goes. He was unwilling. It's not that he, he was unable. He was unwilling to extend the forgiveness that he himself had received. Keep reading. Look at verse uh, 31. And when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid everything he was owed. He also, uh, so also, my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. I want you to take out your pen. I want you to underline in your Bible verse 33. Every Christian who owns a Bible should have Matthew 18, verse 33, underlined in it. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? What is Jesus saying to us? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you've been forgiven by Christ, if you've received forgiveness through Christ, then you must forgive. Another way to say it would be that forgiveness lives among the forgiven. That's where it is. If there's any place on this planet that we should be able to go to and find people that forgive, that people that live out this principle of forgiveness, that understand the gravity of forgiveness and extend it freely, it should be those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And yet, so sadly, in our culture, people no longer look to the church as a place of forgiveness, but of condemnation. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for that. It's on us. See, what, what made this servant so wicked, right, was that he had received forgiveness, but he was unwilling to forgive. 
I had a friend of mine that uh, I was having lunch with this week, and we were talking about forgiveness, and he said, Craig, he said, when, when I remember how I used to be, I find it hard to hold on to offenses of other people. Because I know what I've done. I know who I've hurt. I know what God's done to forgive me. The servant was unwilling to forgive. Let me ask you something. Is that you? You ever find yourself saying, well, I'm never going to forgive them that? I mean, when you hear that person's name, your blood immediately starts to boil. You, you start to get tense in your shoulders. I'm, I'm that, that, Craig, I'm never going to forgive that situation. You have no idea what they did. You have no idea how they talked to my child, how they treated uh, my husband, what they did to us in that business deal. You have no idea. I'm never going to forgive. Never will I forgive them. Not unable, but unwilling. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Forgiveness. Really, I believe forgiveness is the answer to the toxic cancel culture of our day. Forgiveness is powerful. You understand that? Forgiveness is so powerful because when you forgive, it, it breaks the bonds of the past. It releases uh, the grace of God in a person's life. Forgiveness is restorative. Forgiveness is life-giving. And when you receive forgiveness, but you refuse to release it to others, and you're missing the point of what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. That's what our world is looking for. Where does it live? Where can we go to find forgiveness? Where can I go? It should live among the forgiven. This was put on display probably most vividly in October of 2019. Many of you know the story, Amber Geiger, a police officer in uh, Dallas, shot and killed both of them, Jean, in his apartment. It was all over the news, a terrible, terrible tragedy. And uh, she was convicted of murder. And, and part of the sentencing portion of the hearing, uh, family members were able to come and speak to uh, Amber Geiger a, a, about their pain, and Brant, Botham's brother, took the stand, and uh, I just want to read to you just a segment of, of what he said. He said in a very quiet tone, he said, I hope you go to God with all the guilt. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you like anyone else, and I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die. I want the best for you, and the best would be to give your life to Christ. And then in that moment, he asked the judge if he could hug her and the judge allowed him to do so. He slipped out of the um, stand and went toward her and embraced her with tears pouring down everyone's face. And listen, in that moment, forgiveness broke through. In that moment, forgiveness displaced hate and anger and vengeance and resentment Forgiveness came alive. And you say, how in the world could he do that? Because he had been forgiven. 
You see, Botham was a godly man that loved the Lord. He, his family were godly people that had chosen to follow Jesus. Brant was a, uh, had chosen to follow Jesus. And listen, Brant was only doing what Jesus had told him to do. Brant was only doing what Jesus tells us to do, right? Brant was only doing what Jesus tells you to do. Where can I find forgiveness? It lives among the forgiven. So let me ask you the question, does forgiveness live in you? Does it live in your the way you respond to the person that has hurt you? Does it live in your actions? Does it live in your words? Does it live in your tone? Does it live in your house? Does forgiveness live among you? Or are there areas in your life that you still allow there to be resentment and anger and roots of bitterness? Listen, it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus has a better way. It's, a, it's counter to the cancel culture of our day. It's the better way, the way of forgiveness. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute. Listen, you can only give what you have received. And if you have never received the forgiveness of Jesus through the gospel, then you can never extend it to others. So it really starts with you receiving forgiveness. Listen, if, if you could... If you could summarize the Bible in one word, it would be forgiveness. The Old Testament pointing to the ultimate forgiveness. The Gospels portraying Jesus, the great forgiver. You see, when we have sinned against God, when we have gone our own way in our wickedness and our waywardness, we have sinned against the Holy God and we deserve Judgment. We have a spiritual debt that we could not pay. And Jesus came to pay that debt for us. And when he went to the cross, all of your sin debt was placed on Christ. And he absorbed it. He absorbed the wrath of God. He took your place. He was your substitute. And he died for your sin. Why? Because he loves and his heart moves toward you to forgive and to wash you clean and to restore you. The Bible says he died on that cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again in power and glory. And right now, my friend, he's looking at you and your heart. And the only way forward is through forgiveness in Christ. The only way for you to be clean on the inside, to have your past behind you, to be free from your sin, to be right with God, to be able to live out forgiveness to others, it all starts with, with your relationship with Jesus. So I want to give you an opportunity right here and right now to truly have an encounter with Jesus Christ, to truly have your sin forgiven. You say, well, Craig, I've grown up in church my whole life. I'm not asking you where you've been. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Has he changed you? Is it evident? Is it clear? Has there been a change in your life? And if the answer is no, then today can be the day that you say yes to Christ. So your head's bowed. Maybe you're watching online. 
God's stirring your heart. Listen, with your heads bowed, if you say, Pastor, I just need, I need to receive Christ. I'm not gonna ask, call you out anyway, but just lift up your hand. That lets me know that, that I'm gonna be praying for you. Just lift your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need to be right with God. I need to be forgiven. Pastor, you don't understand where I've been, but I, I need that. I need forgiveness. All right, lift up your hand. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, lift it up again. Anybody else? All right. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. Don't, don't, don't wait. Don't resist. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. All right. Just put your hand down. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy of your grace or kindness. And yet you have given it to me anyway. I believe that you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I believe only you can forgive me. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. I don't want to be the person I used to be. Lord, help me to know you and follow you all the days of my life. And Lord, help me to forgive others as you have forgiven 